Our series has been, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We haven't tried to assume that everybody's on the same page when it comes to knowing the work and legacy of Fred Rogers as an ordained Presbyterian minister who was ordained to television ministry to come into the homes and lives of families and children in a transformative way with a message of hope and peace, of grace and of dignity. For the last handful of weeks, we've been reflecting and unpacking this idea about how we know ourselves and how we know our neighborhood. I love the beautiful little model that draws us into his world, centers us in a place and a story. It reminds me of every time I come over one of our hills or I'm returning from Castaic, dropping off my son at high school or driving down from Canyon Country, there are moments and glimpses on the roads that surround us where you just see the whole of the Santa Clarita Valley laid out before you, not unlike Fred's model. See, these are my neighbors. This is the neighborhood. It's an opportunity when we see it from a broad scope like that to consider, is God a part of this larger community? What am I doing to engage my mission field and the unseen but beloved in my midst? As you pass businesses, homes, the unhoused, people on the street, people at work, people at life. It's a chance for you to look out and to see. These are people of God's grace and mercy, of God's purpose. Last week and then continuing this week, we talked about a, a, a practice of life and a practice of living, how it is we might be good neighbors and the power of neighborhood. And we continue that theme in our final one today understanding what it's going to mean for us to go from this place and engage the community that surrounds us. We're doing that in some ways with our keeping it local later today, but we have that opportunity every week, every time we gather, to go back, to go out, and to engage our neighborhood. So we have the question of how we see and hear, how we experience the neighborhood that surrounds us. Fred Rogers invites us to have a sensual, with our senses, experience of our neighbors and our neighborhood. How do we see and hear what's going on? I really love this picture. It's kind of the macro approach to Fred's work. It zoomed back. You see some of his models. You see his porch on the left and cameras. You see his living room and where he's changed his shoes. You see his kitchen where he gathers for food and story and feeds his beloved fish. And long before smart TVs and iPads, he had that awesome picture frame where the picture would change. We don't always get that macro perspective on our neighborhood, but when we do, are we seeing our neighbors? Are we hearing our neighbors? How are we experiencing the world that surrounds us? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? How are we engaging our senses in that which surrounds us? Because it is too easy and too often that we isolate ourselves from that experience. That we take the spiritual position of the framing of this picture. I want to stand back. I don't want to engage and be in. Let me get the whole picture and decide if it's worth my time. Rather, Fred teaches us to be in the moment and to move into the moment and to love 
and in that love to grow in that love. Love and growing in it is the theme of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. How do we build relationships in a kindredness? How do we find this gentle sweetness in a smile? And how we connect with the people who are around us, but more than that, the people who serve us. Do you know your postal worker well enough to give them that kind of grin? Have you connected with the people that sell you groceries, bag your groceries, that work on your car, that sell you corn nuts and Cokes at the convenience store? Not just the people you run into in randomness, but they're a part of the patterns of your lives. Have you, do you even know the name of your regular baristas who make your coffee and maybe share in some of your story? Learning to love and to grow into love as we engage our neighborhood. The power of Fred's work. Because we can't stand away. We can't stand off because when we do, it leaves people to flounder and suffer on their own. We have to engage in the process and be a part of a larger community together. It indeed does take a village. And long before that sentence was coined, Fred Rogers said this about our responsibility. We live in a world in which we need to share responsibility. It's easy to say it's not my child, not my community, not my world, not my problem. You probably have a favorite turn of phrase. Not my circus, not my monkeys, right? That one's mine. Oh, then there are those who see the need and respond. I consider these people my heroes. Oh, what would it mean to be a hero to the memory and spirit of Fred Rogers? Can we even live into that? This morning, as we talk about the idea of respect and discipleship, we affirm that respect is a part of the pattern of seeing and growing in love and seeing folks as they are, where they are, and knowing not only the respect we have for them, but their dignity and their worth. Learning to listen to stories, to build connections, to learn to trust the moment that God will show up if we but make the space. Fred was a master at that. The people that he interviewed and welcomed into his home or that he went to visit. To just trust that the simplicity of his questions and the power of their answers was enough. Was enough to fill 30 minutes of TV. Was enough to fill a moment of holy reverence and teaching. So in that spirit, I want to invite a neighbor up and to take just a moment of your time and of hers to do a little story sharing and reflection. Denise, I want to invite you up at this time. Denise is my special guest this morning because in my first sermon on Fred Rogers, she was texting me from her pew saying, it's a trolley, not a train. It's the land of make-believe, not the land of imagination. So in that spirit, as a Raji and kin to my lovely bride, I want <laughs> I to visit with you. I that was a title. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's right. I love that. From her sermon a couple weeks ago. Talk to me about your connection with Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, um, early experiences. I think I started watching when I was like four or five years old. My mom was the one that introduced me, and I doubt she thought 50 years later I'd still be talking about him, but he's just always been someone special to me just because of who he was and how he talked to children, especially, like through the cameras. I was the oldest of four under five years old, and so that was just always a moment of calm, and he would just 
you know, stare into the camera, and it was like he was talking to every child. Mm, what a power to that. Yeah. He cared and, deeply about his community and the first responders and the people that they served as well. That's a, a powerful witness. So you were the oldest of four under five. So yep. he was a source of quiet for you. Yes. And he inspired and taught you. Aspirational, right? Tell me about your water bottle. Oh, so we were in Paso Robles a few years ago in a juice smoothie shop, and Doug grabbed a sticker and showed it to me, and it said, be the person Mr. Rogers knew you could be, and I had to have it, so that's on my water bottle, on my water bottle. And one of the things that I really like, I've been watching Mr. Rogers this week while packing, um, and came across an episode that I actually really liked when I was a kid. There was a child, Chrissy, and she had spina bifida, so she had the braces and the crutches. And he was just talking to her about living with that. And he just let her talk. Didn't try to fill in the silence, didn't try to speak for her. And he just let her talk, you know, take the silence and all that and just was there. So that's one of the things that means to me is just be attentive and listen to people, not try to put words in their mouth. So I really like that about him. And I like that about you. That's awesome. What about some of your favorite characters from the show? Um, I like, well, I like Lady Aberlin. As a five-year-old, she was 20-something, and I just thought she was very pretty <laughs> and very gentle. She was just always gentle with anybody she came in contact with, just like Fred Rogers. Yeah. And then my favorite puppet was Daniel Tiger, because I like his little watch. It's adorable. And I liked learning to tell time. And then also he was very scared of a lot of things, and that spoke to me, kind of, I related to that as a kid, I was scared of a lot, and so just hearing him voice his fears out loud gave me, you know, a little bit of comfort. Absolutely, yeah, Daniel was always willing to embrace courage despite his fears. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it took nudging from a friend. Yeah. But he never ran away from what made him anxious, what made him nervous, yep. like speaking in public exactly. next to the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned packing, and it's worth saying. I don't know how scared you are about the move. I'm scared for Doug, to be fair. But uh, the Spikers are in the middle of a transition in their lives. They leave on Wednesday to road trip uh, to a new home. They will still have roots and connections here. We will see them on occasion. Over there. Yeah. <laughs> family. But, Doug's sister, her whole family, my son, Hannah, Victoria. You become the roots for us, for them, as they move across the country. But this is a time and a season where maybe you feel a little bit like Daniel, a stress about telling the time and <laughs> yeah. how many hours yeah. are in a day. Exactly. And how many boxes and camping in your own home. Yes. Uh, the thing I appreciate so much, and I'll say it at the end of my sermon, is Mr. Fred Rogers' goodbyes, that he believed in the idea that when people part, it's an opportunity to come back and tell story. Yep. You'll have a story to tell. We'll have a story to tell yep. you about how we're doing. Yeah, I and love that last song to that time. on the Absolutely. show. That's yep. Denise, thank you so thank much you. for your faithfulness. <laughs> I want you to know that this is not intended to somehow buffer from getting your feedback about my sermons, especially when I say something wrong. I'm not going to put everybody up here on the spot. But it served as a wonderful opportunity to thank Denise and Doug for their faithfulness uh, and to honor her excitement about the series that we have been going through. Uh, before we uh, talk about our scripture for today, I just wanted to share one quote from Fred Rogers on the Bible, but one of the things that he appreciated about scripture itself. He said, what interests me 
so much about the characters of the Bible is that they make mistakes. But God uses them anyway. In important ways. These mistake-ridden people are used in important ways. Nobody's perfect. But God can even use our imperfections. Ah, what a gift. I'm so grateful for that. I thought in light of this conversation about discipleship and patterns of life and how we might be the body of Christ and respond to our neighborhoods that I would turn to Pastor Paul this morning, the Apostle Paul, and share a reading from 1 Corinthians. It's a part of the introductory section, the very first chapter of things, uh, that uh, uh, he gets uh, uh, a little long-winded to this community in Corinth. Uh, But this is a part of where it starts. It's an appeal. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And don't we know that over the last 2,000 years, nothing's been truer of the Christian community than we agree about everything? (laughs) It's a bold prayer and a hope, but it's his. It's his longing for them to be united and look for a rallying cry to be united about. And for them, one of the big divisions for them has to do with identity and how they respect each other. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Every pastor has a Chloe. Have you heard what's going on in the parking lot? Have you heard what that small group is talking about? I've heard from Chloe that there are quarrels among you. What do those quarrels look like? What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And another says, I follow Cephas, which is the Greek name for Peter. Still another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also uh, baptized the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. It is a gift to me that even in writing, Pastor Paul gets caught up in his own thoughts. I baptized Crispus and Gaius. Now, wait a minute, I also baptized the house of Stephanas. I don't think I baptized anyone else, but don't hold that against me. For Christ did not send me to baptize, no, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Two things to carry away from one poignant verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18. I'm not a big perisher. You come here to these hallways to hear sermons about hell and damnation and who's headed there and who's wrong and why they're bad. You've picked the wrong pastor for that work. Not a language that I use a lot. But I have and still do know and love deeply people for whom the message of the cross is just utter silliness. Why would you devote your life, your time, your talents, your energy 
to one from so long ago. How does one man's three-year ministry have such a reign over your life some 2,000 years later? It doesn't make sense that God would come in the person of Jesus to be born to a virgin only then to die by capital punishment upon the cross. The message of the cross can be foolishness. We wrestle with it. We struggle with it. And the thing that strikes me is, is that Paul's frame of reference, it's true in Greek, and I'm glad it's translated this way in the NIV, is not, but to those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. It's an active thing, and I always need to remember that. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Remember, Fred invites us to love others and to remind them of their capacity to love to grow into that, to love them even when they don't recognize it, when they can't amongst themselves. We are being saved. The world is being saved by the work of Christ and by the work of the body of Christ. There is this challenge of identity. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. We put all sorts of adjectives in front of our names. I'm a conservative Christian. I'm a liberal Christian. I'm a progressive Christian. I'm just right-center Christian. I'm a United Methodist Christian. I'm a Global Methodist Christian. I'm a Baptist Christian. You pick all of these phrases and adjectives that really kind of muddle the pot. But ultimately, friends, the power of the cross, the message of the cross, is always in the act of redeeming our experience, helping those of us who know something about the struggles of a flawed and sinful life to find the strength to take the next step into love, hope, and possibility. The cross is always an invitation to humility. To say to myself, maybe to yourself, who more am I called to be? What have I been created to do and be that I have not yet done? Who am I meant to grow into? That's the work of discipleship. That's where the strength of it comes from. That's who we are meant to be. We are meant to be a people who learn the message of the cross, who learn the gospel proclamation, who learn the patterns of the life of faith, who learn scripture, who learn to be in fellowship with one another. But beyond that, we take what we learn and allow it to become what we do. Fred put it better than me. He said it's not so much what we have in life that matters. It's what we do with what we have. What do you mean, Fred? Oh, the alphabet is fine. But it's what we do with the alphabet that matters the most. Making words like friend and love. That's what really matters. Put a different way by a more contemporary thinker, Neil deGrasse Tyson at a commencement speech was talking to students about how to demonstrate their merit and worth and what he would look for if he was trying to hire someone. He said, imagine if you will, I was hiring uh, somebody out of your student population and they came to me in this space that we're in. And I interviewed them here and the first candidate and the second candidate got the same question and this was my experience. I asked the candidate, how tall is the spire on this building? The first candidate says, oh, well I happen to know that. I'm a fan of architecture. I've read all the 
the books we can about the designs of the buildings on our campus. I've memorized the heights of all of the buildings herein. I happen to know that this spire is 155 and a half feet tall. Okay. Second candidate, same question. How tall is the spire on this building? Candidate says, could you give me a moment? She goes outside. Mothers measures the length of the shadow of the spire, and then her own, and then uses the law of ratios to use math to figure out, to come back in and to say to Neil, my math might be shaky, but it's about 150 feet tall. Neil says, who do I hire? The second candidate second candidate every time their answer was not as precise it's not what they learned it's not what they know it's not their mastery of the alphabet it is how they are able to take what they have learned and to use those skills out into the world to take what we've learned and make it become what we do that second candidate takes an experience of education and makes it real in that moment it's not so much what we have in this life that matters, it's what we do with it. The alphabet's great, but it only matters when we use it to spell words like friend and love. We come to the end of our series, and there's a simple truth to this work. Fred was very good at saying goodbye and allowing his audience to go out into the world to go out and have experiences, as I shared with Denise, one of the, the powerful things about what he would do when he'd say goodbye is he'd sing a little song at the end of the week. I sang it for April two weeks ago on her final Sunday here. It's such a good feeling to know we're alive, right? making it a snappy new day. The power and the sentiment for me in that song comes just before he goes back to that idea. He says this, we'll come back with lessons we've learned, you'll have a story to tell, and so will I. What would church look like? What would the kingdom of God look like if we left every worship service, small group meeting, opportunity for fellowship, prayer, social, whatever we're doing, with that sense of I'm going to go out into the world to see where God is and come back with a story to tell? What would it mean to go out from this place in such a way that we could say to each other, where did you see God? I want to hear from you. To create that sense of expectation that as we go out, we carry what we've learned with us. The heart of a guy who loved songs and technology, puppets, children. We carry that with us. But we make a difference when what we've learned becomes what we do and how we live. Wow. Such a good feeling to know you're alive. Such a good feeling when you're happy inside. It's a good feeling to know that we are friends. To know that we are the body of Christ. To know that we are Valencia United Methodist Church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.